This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Every life is a journey. Some New Zealanders have had extraordinary journeys to get here. My name is Zeynep Hussain. I am a Kiwi Somali refugee who escaped the Somali war. Getting here. Migration journeys to New Zealand. I still have nightmares about Somalia, the people, the suffering, and why even nobody knows the reason why so many were killed, why so many families were separated. We lived a happy life. Our family lived in Mogadishu. Dad was a businessman, and he owned several trucks that delivered charcoal to families throughout Somalia. My eight brothers and sisters loved our dad. He was kind, and he never shouted or hit us. We loved it when he came home from his long work trip and we jumped up in his arm. After Ramadan, he would take us to the shops and he let us choose anything we wanted. The Somali of my childhood was not like Somali today. It was safe and modern and peaceful. As a child, we never ever knew about political unrest or things like that. The north of Somalia, there was a lot of conflict. One day, we were at the house and a man knocked at the door. Sogal, Sogal, Yahweh. He was carrying a beautiful, expensive carpet, but his mule was very old and brown. The man looked very poor. My mom talked to him for a bit, but soon said, I know where you got this carpet from. It is from Hargeza, isn't it? The Hargeza Holocaust was the mask of thousands of Somali citizens between 1987 and 1989. About 200,000 people were killed by President Siad Barra government forces. Two of the three largest cities in Somalia, including Hargeisa, were completely destroyed in raids. Tens of thousands of Somalis had to flee their land and across the border to Ethiopia as refugees, creating the world's largest refugee camp at the time. After the massacre, young women from Hargeisa would come to Mogadishu looking for a work at shops and hairdressers. Some had even to work as sex workers. As this desperate man tried to sell my mom an expensive rug, 
it was pretty clear that it had been stolen from one of the houses that had been raided up north. Mam refused to buy anything from the man and sent him on his way. I finished school and went to university to become a teacher. After teaching high school for a couple of years, I wanted to start my own business. So I bought and sold jewelry, clothing, and later even dealt in cars from Italy. I like working with different people and having the independence of running my own business. Plus, I got to travel all around the world, such as Europe, Dubai, Saudi Arabia, and India. My son was born 1989. We lived in a big two-story house with my large family. So he had lots of aunties and uncles looking after him. Our house was new, white with eight bedrooms and two living areas. My cousins and brothers lived on the top floor. About a year and a half after my son was born, something happened that changed our lives forever. It was 2 a.m., on a hot, quiet night in Mogadishu. We were walking up by people shouting at a house behind ours. We could hear a young woman screaming, my dad, my dad. Then, gunshots began. There was no more screaming after that. I grabbed my sleeping baby. We hide on the floor underneath the bed. The gunfire and shouting continued for about an hour. Some of the bullets hit the back of our house. It sounded as if the gunmen had completely surrounded our small group of houses. I tried to calm down my son, but he was so scared. I will never forget looking into my baby eyes and seeing the fear in them. I kept shushing him so he would not draw any attention that we were down there. Finally, it went quiet. Slowly, my family quietly came out of their rooms. We all just stared at each other in shock. My mom said, where is everyone? She was really confused. She ran for the door leading upstairs where my brothers and cousins slept. I said, please don't open the door, mom, because we didn't know what we would find up there. Were they dead? Had they escaped or had they hidden like us? From the other side of the door, we then heard a knock very slowly. And then I heard my brother's voice in a whisper. We are okay. We are alive. 
After that, my mom cried for three hours. No matter what we said, just she kept crying and crying until 6 a.m. in the morning. We heard a knock on the front gate. Nervously, I wanted to answer it and heard a small voice say, It's me, Aunt Ashley. Open the door. Are you all safe? Yes, I answered, Alhamdulillah, we are all safe. We opened the door, and my mom's good friend, Aunt Ashley, said that people were saying that gunfire was at the big white house, our house, and that this place has been targeted. She said, we can't stay here anymore. It's too dangerous. They will come back and kill you next time. Later that day, the police came and asked why we were still in the house. We said, well, it is our house. It is where we live. But the police said that we weren't members of the tribe of this area and that it's best to live now. I asked them why they hadn't protected us last night during the attack. They said that the police's guns aren't as big as theirs, so they couldn't help us. From that day, I decided to leave that house. I was convinced that the fighting would continue and that we would never be able to live peaceful there again. But the rest of my family didn't want to go. My mother said everything would, would be fine after a little while. But I said, no, no, nothing good is coming. In most parts of Africa, it is common for grandparents and aunties to raise the children in the family. I was traveling a lot for my business, so my son was with my mom and sisters most of the time. My mom would strap my baby into her bag with a cloth and go about her chores of running a large household. It was the Somali way. I had decided I would leave the family home to try to find a safer place for my family to live in Nairobi, Kenya. It made sense to leave my 20-month-old son with them. On the day that I said goodbye to him, I gave him lots of hugs and kisses. He would be cared for so well by my mom and sisters. I thought I would be gone for a few weeks. I had no idea that I wouldn't see my son again until he was three years old. I flew to Nairobi. I was a young businesswoman wanting to establish a savior place for my family to move to away from the growing violence in Somalia. But as soon as I arrived, everything suddenly took a turn for the worse. There was more fighting everywhere. The war that happening in the north of Somalia was erupting in the south in Mogadishu. The Somali borders were shut. 
in the neighborhood where my family lived become one of the most dangerous places in Mogadishu. My name is Marian Adan Hussein. Zainab was my younger sister, and when she was little girl, she used to call me mama, 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 you know? I loved her. This is my sister Miriam. She was living in Mogadishu with her husband at the time. I was a doctor specialized in gynecologist. All my family, I was the eldest one of my family, and I have young ones, we have cousins. You know, we, have, we had very bad war in Mogadishu, you know, killing all our family. And we lost our identity, that who we are, who we are, you know. People come outside and they just came and killed everybody in our, our, our families. We lost brothers, they take all our houses, they take everything we have and everybody. We have. And they going every house of us, killing people, taking our houses, taking our belongings. Every man, every one of us, you know, raping, killing, torching, all of that happened. And they killed doctors, hospital people, every one of us. And, and we, we never expected that. From Nairobi, I used to call my cousin in Somalia at 3 a.m. The only time when the telephone line weren't busy and I could get through, she would give me the news about my family. She would tell me that my family and son were okay, but the shooting were increasing. I was so worried for them all. With the borders now shut, it was too late to leave and I couldn't return there either. I had become separated from my family. It took a year and a half before I could finally see my son and be reunited with my mother and sisters. They finally managed to escape to join me in Nairobi. Here is my sister, Miriam. Oh, I was so happy to see her. It is very pressure for me because we lost everything we have. We become very poor. We lost all our man. We lost our country. I always want Zainab to come to us. I always want. When I saw my son, I was so happy. As I wanted to hug my mom, she said, Alhamdulillah, you know you were right, I was wrong, we need to leave Somalia, but I didn't want to leave my house. It was just really good to be together again. We were a good family and I felt better knowing that my family weren't living in a war-torn city anymore. For a couple of months after my family arrived in Kenya, something else happened that changed my fate. 
I was getting into a bus with a friend. The bus was really crowded, but I pushed my way on, then turned back to my friend and said, Quick, come on. But her eyes were wide open with a shocked look on her face. She froze. Three men surrounded us with long machetes. One of them held the knife up to my chest, where the strap of my back was, trying to cut away the strap to take my back. In Nairobi, people will kill you if you refuse what they want. So I gave them my back and said, Take my back. Take it. The men ran away with my back. Then I remembered my passport was in it. I ran off the bus and after them, shouting for them to take my money, but give me back my passport. I was running as fast as I could and crying at the same time, asking people to help me get my bag back, but no one would help me. Everyone was too scared of the burglars. I was devastated. My passport was proof that I had residence in Kenya, and I knew that in this time, with a war going in Somalia, but I would never be able to get a new Somali passport again. I didn't realize it at the time, but on that day, I guess I had become a refugee with no proof of my citizenship or residence or even my formal identity, I didn't really belong anywhere. Now that my family had escaped the war in Somalia, we all wanted a safer place to live. We were business people, educated, from middle-class family that could speak English. We would settle well in another country. By that time, a lot of Somalian people were leaving for Europe where they could claim political asylum and hopefully be resettled as a refugee. My two sisters had been granted refugee status for New Zealand. When they fill out the application, they were worried that if they include too many family members, it would be refused. So they focused on getting their children and my son on the application. So they only listed their children and my son. I was not on the UN refugee application. Well, their application eventually got approved, but it was too late to add in my name. The UN officials said that we might be able to be reunited once they settled in New Zealand, but not at first. My sisters, their children, and my son were off to New Zealand. But me, I was stuck in the middle of nowhere. No passport, no refugee status, no hope. I wanted to go where I was safe and to wait until I could join my family in New Zealand. 
I had lots of good overseas contacts from all of my business travels. I knew a Somali woman who had escaped to the Netherlands. She gave me the name of a man in Nairobi who had helped her make arrangements to get across the border and seek asylum. You see, no one without a passport could leave Kenya. So I had to pay someone to bribe the airport officials to let me board a plane. This is very common throughout the world. The man and I meet the very next day. I agreed to pay him 5,000 US dollars to get me a fake passport to arrange the plane tickets and pay bribes for my passage through the Nairobi airport and into the plane. I told my sister, this is my chance. I have this chance now. I do not want to lose it. Meanwhile, one of my cousins was also in the process of waiting for settlement as a refuge, but she hadn't been able to secure refuge status so far. She had eight children and asked if I could take two of her children to Europe with me. Then she would follow us shortly after. So I took them, my niece and my nephew. They were six and eight years old. The man who had helped me escape made arrangements for them too. When we arrived at the airport in Amsterdam, the three of us claimed asylum. After the police interviewed us for an hour, they gave us bus ticket to a camp for refugees about three hours away. They fed us when we arrived, we slept, and then we met lots of other Somalian people who had also escaped from the war. A couple weeks later, we learned that my cousin, the mother of the two children I was looking after, was being sent with her children to UK as a UN refugee. She wasn't coming to the Netherlands to get them, but her children could eventually join her. After that, we were given a nice little house to live and gained our residence in the Netherlands. We started learning the language, the children went to school, and we made lots of Dutch friends. They were very welcoming to us, and despite our cultural and religious differences, the kiddies did really well there. But two years later, my niece and nephew were accepted as refugees to Ikland to join their mother and sibling. They were the only family I had close to me, so it was so hard to see them go. It was hard after they left. I still had nightmares about the killing and raving in Somalia. I would wake up in the middle of the night yelling, screaming for the gunmen not to rape the ladies or make the people suffer more. I miss my family very much. 
everyone else I loved was in another country. My family, one is a happy, multi-generational household where we all looked after each other's children. We ate together every day and had a close-knit community. Now we were sprawled across four different countries, New Zealand, England, USA, and the Netherlands. I can't really say if life was better. We didn't have each other, but at least we were safe. My husband had been in and out of my life for many years. He was able to join me in the Netherlands after my niece and nephew left. We had two more sons, and the years passed by. Sometimes I was fine, but other times I struggled to cope with tragedies of my past and separation of my family. I was so isolated. I didn't speak the language. No family, no friends. I was so bored, missing my son. There were no other Somali people in my neighborhood. The Dutch people were friendly, but the language really stopped me from fully engaging in life there. Maybe my sister had been right. We did need to speak the language in order to make friends and get jobs. I was frustrated but keeping me busy was my two boys. After seven years, I finally got my citizenship in the Netherlands and got a passport back again. I was finally a legitimate citizen of another country again. It had been so many years since I had my own authentic passport. In 2001, I was finally able to join my family and son in New Zealand through a family reunification program which helped me get permanent residency here. Because I spoke English when I arrived and had lots of work experience, I found plenty of work when I arrived. I have worked as a community support worker and interpreter and at high school. My middle son finished his business studies and then became a barber. He now runs his own business. My youngest boy is learning to become a mechanic and I have just learned that he is going to give me my very first grandchild. I am so happy. But my wider family that I longed for all those years is still scattered across the planet. This has been too many Somali families that I know. That war, all the violence that still simmers in Somalia forced so many families to live apart. I have a good life in Christchurch now. I have my work, my friends, and live with my sister and two of my boys. And those nightmares of people suffering and women being raped, they slowly faded away a few years after I left Somalia. I don't feel lonely anymore like I did in the Netherlands as I waited to be reunited with my family.
New Zealand has given me back my family and I got to watch my younger two boys grow up in front of me. I can no longer call myself a refugee. We love New Zealand. It is our home now. But Somalia will always be in my heart. for listening to my story. It was written and produced by me, Zainab Hussein and Lana Hart. I love to say thanks to Lana. You gave me a big hand and supported me. So you are special. Thanks a lot, my dear. Lots of other people helped me, like Laura Gardiner, Mary Davison, Sharon Moraham, and Brian Lastavica and the team at Plains FM. Original music was by Finn Hart Hobman and Marion Mursal, my legend. I want to also thank my son Omar Kadar and my sister Miriam. This project was funded by the Office of Ethnic Communities. Thank you so much. You can listen to the other podcasts in this series by downloading from Apple Podcast or Spotify or from the Planets FM website. Under podcast, search for the series called Getting Here. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.